Good morning, church. It's a joy to be here with you this morning, celebrating our Lord's resurrection. He rose from the grave 2,000 years ago, and we're still here talking about it, as we should. If you would open your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28 in our time this morning. If you grab the Bible in front of you, that will be page 835. Matthew chapter 28. The word of God reads, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a man like Matthew who's got to see these things and speak to those who saw these things and then record them for us so that we, 2,000 years later, might know and believe. Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts to believe all that your word has written, all that is written in your word, Lord. And may it comfort us and may it cause us, Lord, to rejoice greatly. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It's been quite a morning so far. 
It's been wonderful. And as I think about you all, I know most of you, some of you are visitors, so welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. Those of you who are visiting, maybe some of you have faith in Jesus, and maybe some of you don't. And so I'm speaking here of the group of people that I know who come here that I share my life with at this local church, and, and you've probably already picked up on this and noticed it in your time this morning, but this is an interesting group of people <laughs> because they woke up early, they got dressed they got dressed up maybe a little bit more than, than their typical Sunday, and, and they put on this music, and they're singing, and they're coming, and they're getting all excited. Like, we don't have as much, you know, yelling back and forth normally, but everyone is here, and, and we're saying, Jesus is risen, and, and, and you're thinking, what in the world did I just walk into? Why and how is it that, that this group of people have become so excited and, and so joyful about something that they have not even seen? Is there a good reason for that? That was a, uh, what do they call that, a rhetorical question? But you guys can't help yourselves which proves the point even further. You are excited about someone you have not seen. There must be a reason for that. And the reason for that is because you do not need to see something in order to know something. And you don't need to uh, see something in order to know something and in order to rejoice in something. It, 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 this is basic. If someone sends you a text message, your good friend sends you a text message, and they're like, dude, I got a promotion. You're like, what? Congratulations. And your heart leaps and you're excited. And you're not like, no, well, send me the email. Let me see the paperwork. Let me, you know, let, let me get the proof of this before I'm going to allow my heart to rejoice. I need to treat this in a very critical manner so that I can be objective and scientific about this message that has just been given to me before I see whether or not that I should rejoice in it. You do any of that. Why? Well, because... You, 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 all you need to rejoice is to have someone tell you about something. You don't need to see it. And if you don't have any good reason to think that that person's not reliable or they're not making something up, then you rejoice with them. Amen? And that's essentially what we have with the Gospel of Matthew. And as we read this, this, this last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we recognize uh, Pastor Tim read this morning in 1 Peter cha chapter 1. Peter says such an awesome thing about believers that he's speaking to. And this makes them different from where he's at. Because he's an apostle. He saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He ate with the resurrected Jesus. All of that. But he says to the, the believers that he's speaking to who didn't experience all of that, he says, you love him even though you haven't seen him. And even though you haven't seen him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. Why? How did they come to do that and have that? And it was through the testimony of others. That's how and why. And so when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, we see one first century man's attempt, a Jewish man, a tax collector, a man who, who uh, for most of his life wasn't believing in Jesus and wasn't following Jesus, but then eventually put his faith in Jesus, followed Jesus, and saw the ministry of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the death of Jesus and also the resurrected Jesus, and he has written this account for us. He's gathered together the, the eyewitness testimonies of those in his day and has, has, has woven them together into a narrative so that we can read it and so that we, even though we can't see it, we can read of it and hear of it and know and believe and rejoice in this Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this text, we're going to see three compelling reasons, I believe, for rejoicing in the risen Jesus Christ, even though we've never seen him. And the first compelling reason is this. Jesus really died. 
Even though we have not seen him, even though we do not see his death, we know and rejoice in the fact that Jesus really died. Now, as we work our way through this point, we'll look at the women's testimony, the angel's testimony, the testimony of, of those who are opposed to Jesus, his enemy's testimony, and then Jesus' testimony, all to uh, build the case that, that we can know and believe and rejoice in the fact that Jesus really died. Now, this point may seem very basic. This point may seem, you know, like, why, uh, you know, why, why are you spending, you know, a lot of time on this? Uh, I, I get it. We read the text. And, and for some of you, what's amazing is you get it. You read the text and you believe it. But some, of, uh, some others might maybe uh, have some different ideas of, of what really happened with Jesus. And just to name a few, there's, there's two popular views uh, well, actually, one of them is not so much, so much popular, but it floats around there. Uh, and the other one is actually a widely held belief. But the first one is the idea that Jesus didn't actually die. This is called a swoon theory. That, that Jesus, he, he looked really, you know, he, he was beaten, he was scourged, he was whipped and all that stuff. He was on the cross. And, and even though the guards thought he was dead, the guards must have been mistaken. And then even after they thought he was dead, they made sure he was dead by, you know, stabbing the spear into his side and blood and water came out. And then, you know, they really knew he was dead, but really they were wrong about that part. And so when they took him down and then they put him in this tomb, he wasn't really dead. He was just kind of unconscious. And then inside the tomb, he regained consciousness consciousness somehow rolled that stone you know away in his in his great health however that got you know how he recovered from that and, and then uh went and, and showed himself to his disciples and he probably would have been a nearly you know unrecognizable corpse his his face was marred beyond recognition his body the suffering that he endured and and yet then that's going to convince the disciples that Jesus really rose, that he's the king of glory, that he overcame death. Uh, that's, a, that's a view that's out there, and it denies that Jesus really died. And there's also another view. This one's held by uh, the majority of, of Muslims in the world, not necessarily all of them, uh, but that's the idea that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. And I'll share a verse from the Quran later in, 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 this, in this point. But so you get, even though you feel like, man, this is obvious, this is what it says, this is crucial, this is important, and when you realize, when we're questioning whether or not we should rejoice in the resurrection, you can't rejoice in a resurrection, you know, in a resurrected Jesus if you don't have the fact established that he truly died. If he didn't die, then he didn't rise. And Paul says, if he didn't rise, then Christians are still in their sins, and they're most to be pitied of all men. They're going around getting all happy about nothing. Like, let's just be real. He unhesitantly hangs all of our faith on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, on his death and on his resurrection, and he does not hesitate one bit to do so, and neither should we. Why? Because Jesus really died. And so let's look then at the, the women's testimony. We see in verse 1, it says that after the Sabbath, toward the, first, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The women's testimony is that Jesus really died. Now, would the women be in a good place to know that? Good question. Yes. Let's jump back in chapter 27 and notice that in verse 50, it says that uh, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And verse 55 says that there were many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So who was there at the cross when Jesus died and heard him give out that loud cry and saw him breathe his last breath? The, the, these women, they were there and they saw it. Their testimony is that Jesus really died. And, and moreover, uh, they were not only at the cross, but we see if you look in, in chapter 27, uh, in, verse, in verse 61, 
a guy named Joseph takes, uh, asks Pilate for the body of Jesus, then puts it in a new tomb, wraps it with a clean shroud, it says, lays it in Joseph's own new tomb, which he cut out of rock, rolled a great stone to the entrance of that tomb, and went away. And verse 61 says, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. So, were they in a good place to know whether Jesus was dead or not? I mean, about as good a place as anyone could ever possibly be. They watched him breathe his last breath. They're there at the cross. Then they're there at the tomb. And they were sitting across from it, watching Joseph prepare his body and put it in the tomb and lay the stone over it. The women's testimony is that Jesus really died. And, and so that's, the, that's, that's why it says in verse 1 that they go to see the tomb. If Jesus was alive, do you think they'd be going to see the tomb? <laughs> What would they be going to see? They'd be going to see Jesus. But they're going to see the tomb because it's the last place they saw his body laid. They, their, their witness is that, and their testimony is that Jesus really died. This leads then to the angel's testimony. And this is kind of like, you know, a testimony within a testimony, if you will. Uh, the, the, the women go and they come. Uh, and it, when they come to the tomb, it says that there's a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Now, if you're thinking here, well, what's the deal with this angel stuff? Like, this all sounded real historical and, and scientific. So you started start talking about angels, right? Uh, and, and, you know, you're like, I've never seen an angel. And what's this deal with this angel stuff? And I just want to point something out to you that if you pay attention to how people respond to angelic appearances for us in the scripture, they were not expecting it to happen either. They were like, this wasn't their, you know, oh, it's 6 a.m., time to hang out with the angel time. No, like this, this startled them, and, and look what it did to the guards. It left them like dead men. They saw something that was real, and, and it's like they just dropped to the ground, and they're terrified. And the women must have been terrified. They were not expecting this. And so you see from just the, the fear that they, they, they have, this is not a normal occurrence, but it had happened to Mary and to Joseph at the beginning, of, uh, right before Jesus was born. You, Mary had an angel, Gabriel, visit her, who told her that she's to not be afraid because she's found favor with God. She's going to conceive in her womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And so while it's rare, extremely rare, and reserved for some of the most important events in the historical redemptive work of God, angels do show up and God uses them to offer further testimony and to confirm certain things that would be otherwise near impossible to believe. So what are, what's the angel's testimony as he speaks to the women? His testimony also is that Jesus really died. Look at what he says in verse five. He tells the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Okay, so if that angel is real and that angel is speaking, what's the angel's understanding of what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. And he, he goes on and says, come see the place where he lay. Uh, where he lay means that he is, is, is where he was lying. He's not there anymore, but it was the spot that you had just seen him brought in and set down in that tomb. You can come in and you can see, I'm not just saying these things. These things have actually happened. He was laid here. He was dead. But as the angel will say in a moment, he's not here anymore. But the angel's testimony is that Jesus really died. This leads to next some of the testimony that we have from those who opposed Jesus. And we look here and we, we, we notice that uh, even those, you know, it's not just these women followers, not just this, this, this angel, but we also uh, have the testimony of those who were opposed to Jesus. And, and they also testified that he really died. And we can see this, look at chapter uh, 27, just above our passage. Uh, it says that they went to Pilate 
the chief priests and the Pharisees, so these are Jewish religious elite leaders who were opposed to Jesus, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, they come to Pilate and ask him, or say to him, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. So even on the mouth of his enemies, what, who were also at the cross, mocking him till his last moment, they also were convinced that Jesus had died. So the testimony is, is clear. But when we keep going, we, we see also uh, in verses 11 through uh, 15 that some of the guards go back to the chief priests. They give a report of what had taken place, which you could just imagine that... Uh, <laughs> This has been a, a, a crazy thing to hear and then to have this reported to you and then, and then to, to, to cover it up and say, hey, take this money and tell this story. But that's exactly what happens. These guards go. And, and what's crucial for, for, for our understanding is that the story that they make up affirms that Jesus really died. He was in the tomb at one point, dead, and then we don't know what happened to him, but, you know, uh, while we were asleep, they start, they're, they're told to lie about this. While we were asleep, the disciples came and, and stole his body. They took him away while we were asleep. And so they are admitting a crucial point that Jesus' tomb is empty, that his body was once there. The guards were protecting it. Everything was going how it was supposed to go. But then sometime, you know, uh, in the early hours of the morning, uh, I, everything went wrong. And we now have to explain this and cover it up and, and say that his disciples stole his body. And so even on the mouths of his, his enemies, there's the acknowledgement that Jesus really died. Now, if you want to jump even later... I just want to share this quote with you. This is outside of the Bible, but this is a first century historian, Josephus, writing at the end of the first century, and he himself even mentions Jesus and Jesus' death. This is from Antiquities 1863. It says, Josephus writes, and he's not a believer in Jesus. He, he's writing a history. He says, at this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of Christians so named after him has not disappeared to this day. We could quote, we could quote Suetonius, we could, we could quote uh, Tacitus, we could quote other Roman non-Christian historians all take the death of Jesus as an, just a basic historical fact. And this is, this is why any theory that denies the death of Jesus is on, on, on terribly poor uh, historical footing. So we have the testimony of the angels, the testimony of the women, the testimony of enemies, and then we have also for the death of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus. And what's neat about this is uh, back in chapter 27, they said, sir, we remember how this imposter said while he was still alive. Notice that they understand that Jesus has testified to certain things. They know. He said that after I die, I'm going to also rise. And so the angel, when, he, when the angel speaking to the women, says that Jesus told you this. This is all happening as he said. And so where did Jesus say this stuff? If we go back in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, we see that Jesus, Jesus said that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus' testimony before it ever happened, was I'm spending three nights, three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. He predicted his death. Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things and, uh, from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And, and Peter begins to go and rebuke him for this. He can't handle this. 
Matthew 17, Jesus says that just as they rejected John the Baptist, put John the Baptist to death, Jesus says, so also the Son of Man, who he, this is a title he uses for himself, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Matthew 17, 22, that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into their hands they, and they will kill him. Matthew 20, we're going to Jerusalem, verse 17. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Matthew 26, verse 31, Jesus said, You will all fall away because of me on this night, for it is written, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so over and over again, before it ever happened, Jesus was speaking in no ambiguous or uncertain terms of his own death. Jesus testified that he really died. And now maybe you're thinking for a second, well, like anyone could testify about their death. I'm going to die. <laughs> I predict that you're going to die. Is that impressive? You're thinking no, right? Because you know that everyone does die. Well, what's different about what Jesus is doing is predicting exactly how it's going to happen. He's predicting exactly how it's going to happen, even though he's, he, he does not deserve it whatsoever. This is how it's going to happen. There, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be put to death. He's going to be crucified on a cross. And so uh, Jesus' own testimony is that he really died. And I, I don't have the time to go into this, but if you were to look at the specific passages where Jesus speaks about his death, one thing that is crucially important also that you will find is that his understanding of his, of his death is informed by certain Old Testament scriptures that promised that this is exactly what the Messiah would do. So stuff written 500, 700, 1,000 years before Jesus, you can look and see what it says about the Messiah. And it says the Messiah will really die. And that was Jesus' testimony. I'm the Messiah and I must die to fulfill the scriptures. And so to revisit the swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die and didn't really rise, there's not any good historical evidence for that. Also, it's, a, it's an idea that just uh, kind of got... Uh, got pushed or, or promoted, started being made about 200 years ago. Before that, no one's making that argument. And, and, and there's good reasons for that because when you look at these incidents, it doesn't look at all like he would have survived this. Wikipedia is no arbiter of truth. But when it says stuff like this, you have to quote it. The 200-year-old hypothesis, speaking of the swoon theory, is still a subject of debate in, in popular circles, but the scholarly literature considers it uncontroversial that Jesus died during the process of crucifixion. So there goes the swoon theory. Now, how about Islamic theories? I mentioned I was going to quote for you the Quran. Uh, this might be the only time I've quoted the Quran in the pulpit, uh, but it's, it's, it's specifically to show that it's false. It's demonstrably false. Surah 4, 157 says, uh, it, it, it says, and this is from the perspective of the Jews speaking, says, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, but, and this is the response to that claim, that the, the Quran is teaching, but they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so made it to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts, and no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. Rather, Allah raised him to himself. So, so maybe some of you here and you're like, hey, you know, all religions kind of have good things. They kind of all teach the same thing. And on the crucial thing that all of Christianity stands on, the Quran, in no ambiguous terms, denies and teaches the opposite says, for surety, he was not crucified. Meanwhile, the, the testimony of the women and the disciples and, and all of this, which, by the way, is first century evidence, as opposed to the Quran, which was written 600 years after Jesus, far later, not on the basis of any eyewitness testimony, we begin to see that that is not the truth. Jesus really died. And think about this, if, based on what we just walked through there, if Jesus didn't really die, then even though the Quran says that Jesus is Messiah, 
even, even though the Quran says that Jesus is a prophet, look how it causes problems for its own system now because we just walked through all of Jesus predicting his death. He got that wrong if he wasn't crucified. And if he got it wrong, then he lied. And if he lied, then he's not of the truth. He's not a true prophet. Then he would be a false prophet. And so we should reject both that teaching and the, and the Quran uh, and, and the idea that Muhammad is a true prophet because he just prophesied falsely <laughs> or recorded falsely about something that happened 600 years prior, that first person eyewitness testimony. So Jesus really died. And the reason I spend so much time on that is because if Jesus didn't really die, you can't even begin to make a claim that Jesus really rose. That's where it gets exciting. That's why we rejoice. We rejoice in his death, not because of somebody who died, but because this person who died also rose. We don't separate those two. Any other idea or theory that tries to separate those two goes against all of this witness and testimony from the first century. And so let's talk then now about Jesus really rose. We can see this from the angel's testimony. The angel says to the women, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So the angel's testimony is that Jesus really rose. This wasn't something that they just, you know, uh, imagined. uh, But this is something that actually happened. And the angel shows up for the specific purpose of saying that to the disciples and to Mary Mary, uh, and the other Mary. And they they get invited to come and to see. He's not here. Come take a look. And they come in and they see. And then they are told to go and as they're, uh, uh, as they're going, they get an extraordinary encounter. But we'll come, to, come to that, back to that in a second. Notice that the angel again says that this was something that Jesus himself had predicted. This is just as he told you, both the death and the resurrection part. And when I read those verses where Jesus predicted his death, I purposely left out, and most of them, what was right there next to it which is that in those contexts, Jesus didn't only predict his death, but he also predicted his resurrection. And this is the testimony of Jesus before it ever happened. Matthew 16, that that he would be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and killed and on the third day be raised from the dead. Matthew 17, that he would be delivered into the hands of men and they would kill him and he would be raised on the third day. Matthew 20, he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And Matthew 26, verse 31, the night when he was betrayed, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So here's those mentions and the promises of them seeing him in Galilee. Angel says, this is just as Jesus told you. And so they go, and, and they're excited. And we, we understand that the women and the angel and Jesus' testimony, Jesus' prophecy, his own death, all of these are intertwined. And so it's hard to just deny any single one of them. But then this is now compounded by the fact that when the women on their way back uh, get to share something else that happened to them. They're on their way back. They're, they're leaving the empty tomb. And they, the text says, are filled with, with fear and great joy because they're going to run. And I, I just can't even imagine how fast they're. They're probably booking it. They're going as fast as they can to share this news, right? And, and you just, you're thinking, it can't get better than this. We went to the tomb and there's an earthquake and the an angel. And we got to talk to an angel. We were freaked out. But then he told us to not freak out. And he told us to come in and look and see Jesus is not here. And so they're running. And you think it's not going to get any better than that. And then it does. It does get better than that. Why? Verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them. Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. They take hold of his feet. What do they see down there? That's something I was thinking about. 
they see the fact that he had his scars down there? Uh, what would that have been like? Is they, they just, they're just in awe, and they're like, they, they have to be like, really? It's really you, Jesus? And maybe they even smelt because he was anointed with the aloes and the myrrh, and he even smelt like the, the, the same person they had just uh, know that was anointed only three, only three days prior. And they come, and they touch him, and they feel him. This was not just something they heard from an angel. It was not just an empty tomb that they saw, but then they touched and felt Jesus. He was not appearing as a ghost or spirit or This was real, physical, bodily resurrection. They touched his feet. And touching his feet and realizing the implications of of who he was in that moment, that he was truly the Messiah, the Son of God, their Savior, their Redeemer, their Lord. They bow and they worship him. They recognize that he is God the Son, and they give him the worship worthy and due of that. In Matthew chapter 5, it's interesting. Jesus is tempted by Satan. And Satan tells Jesus that I'll give you all the stuff if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, you worship God only. Serve him alone. And yet here in this passage, his own disciple is bowing down and worshiping him. Worshiping him. And he is receiving that worship. Why? Because he is God the Son in the flesh. And so this is the woman's testimony. They saw, she, they saw Jesus. They got to fall at his feet and worship him. And then Jesus says the same thing that the angels said, which the angels were saying, this is just the same thing that Jesus had already had said. And, and so all the stuff's matching up and they're saying, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And this is amazing. So just pause and think about this. Who were the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus? these women. Jesus decided to bless these women with this re- the very first resurrection experience, and then he takes them and tells them to go and to preach with the, to the other disciples. And Luke tells us when that happened is they, they thought it was an idle tale. They didn't believe it. But nonetheless, they were, char- uh, they were charged to go. And they were faithful. And that was a moment to test the faith of the disciples. Would they believe? And ultimately, they were told to go to Galilee. Look, if you don't believe me, you, you want to see for yourself, then come to Galilee. This is, what, this is what, what Jesus told us to tell you. And so we, we see next that they do go to Galilee. And when they go to Galilee, this is the disciples' testimony. Verses 16 to, to 20 says that when they, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it plays out just as Jesus said beforehand, just as the angel told the women it would, just as the women told the disciples it would. And all these things, again, are are mutually confirming each other to bear the testimony that Jesus really rose. We have to, for a second, consider the enemy's testimony one more time. And that is the fact that these guards go and report what happened, and they're told to tell the story that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And so Matthew says that this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And I have to say, if there's any explanation other than the resurrection that, that is the strongest, I think this one is the strongest because it at least has first century evidence for it. You have people claiming in the first century that Jesus' disciples stole his body. And so if you can narrow down all the other views on what happened between Jesus' death and resurrection, I think that you can narrow it down to these two. Either the disciples stole the body of Jesus or Jesus really rose. And I think that there are really 
good reasons for rejecting the idea that his disciples stole his body. Let's think about this for a second. I think the, 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 the weakest part of the idea that the disciples stole the body is the fact that the guards say what? His disciples came and stole him while we were sleeping. Some of you guys missed that? The, uh, do, you, do you know what's going on in, when you're asleep uh, uh, on what's going on around you? Does that sound like some strong eyewitness testimony? We woke up. It must have been them. <laughs> like, you know, uh, by the way, you, I read one thing. The guards weren't even supposed to lean on anything, let alone sleep at all. Right. And, and what you think that, you know, when they set the seal on this large stone and you have guards, maybe 16 of them, who, who knows how many was there and you have them, you know, disciples come and they're going to move that stone without them waking up, without them seeing them. That is, I think, a pretty weak explanation. And on top of that, it, I think it actually gives the disciples too much credit for where they are at at that moment in their in their life. Why? Peter had just been following Jesus at a distance and a slave girl came and was like, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And bold Peter was like, no. No. He folded under the the questions of a slave girl and then you're saying the same guy is going to go and say, now it's time. Like, we're going to go and we're going to rescue. We're going to take his body because we want to deceive the world, right? If you, if you rob a grave, you get put to death. So is it, does it make sense to try to risk your life, be possibly put to death for someone who you think is dead already? And this is a point that, that uh, I think Craig Keener says here, yeah. He says, if the disciples did not protect Jesus when he was alive... Surely they would not have risked their lives to rob his tomb after his death. And so ultimately, I think we have really good reasons for rejecting this. And there's also a third problem is that this doesn't account for the testimonies of the disciples. All you have now is, is two contradictory testimonies. One of them doesn't make, 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 uh, is not able to account for all the evidence that we have. Uh, the other one is, is able to account for it, but it seems supernatural. And so you're looking at this and you say, which one? Well, I'll let you decide. And you're all going to have to give an account to God for what you decide on that. It's not just some, oh, you know, talk about, read some history books, whatever. It, this is your eternity hangs in the balance of what you think about this issue. So you think, oh, I don't, I have a lot of questions. Or I, don't, I don't know, how, this seems like it might take a lot of time to think about. I should, I should probably think through this. Yeah, you probably, you probably should think through it. But what you probably shouldn't do is, is go out and never think about this again. And then have to come and to stand before the Lord and say that I, I rejected early, clear, abundant, multiply attested testimony of your death and your resurrection, Jesus. And I just didn't think it was important. There's all sorts of problems with denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they, the disciples, you know, go on to suffer and even die for the claims that they made about seeing Jesus. The guards... They make some money, and life is good. They probably just disappear. We're going to kind of get off the radar now. But when you think about these two, you, it comes down to this, and I think like why you should choose the, the one and not the other. At the bottom of it, the guard one really comes down to blind faith, whereas the disciples' testimony comes down to seeing faith. The blind faith, because, well, we were sleeping, must have been the disciples who stole Versus we saw him and he saw him and that one saw him and that other one saw him and that one that was persecuting the church and hated Christians and was killing them. And then he saw him and we, we know that, that, that he, 500 people all saw him at the same time and you could go and you could meet him. 
and he's changing their lives and he's saving them from their sins and he's, he's, he's redeemed them and he's shown that he is Lord and he is Messiah and only he can save us. That's their testimony and that's what they proclaim. And this just leads to our last point, we short. But this is the fact that we are compelled, we have compelling reasons to rejoice in the Lord Jesus because he dies he really died, he really rose, and he really saves. Take, take the dying out, he's not a savior. Take this, the, the raising out, he's not a savior. And he's not worth you following him. Paul says, right, if, if Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins. That means we haven't been saved. That means that all of us are still going to have to give an account to God for how we've lived our lives, the fact that we've sinned against him, that we've broken his laws, that we've disobeyed his commandments, and now we don't have a savior. We don't have anyone to cover our sins or, or pay for our sins. That is unless Jesus rose, which is what the testimony we have received, and it makes sense, and it's reasonable, and it's right, and it's good, and it's true. Jesus really died. Jesus really rose. Jesus really saves. And this is good news for you and for me, because we're sinners. We need God's grace and his forgiveness. We've all failed him a, a billion times. We've all gone astray. And yet God was pleased to send his son to seek and to save the lost. If you humble yourself and realize I am a sinner and I am lost and I know that I, can, I do not meet God's standard of perfection, then, then you realize you are in the perfect place to say, I am lost and I need some saving. And God says, this is why I sent my son, to seek and to save the lost. Hear it from Jesus' own testimony, what he has to say about the reason that he came. Jesus says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He also says in Matthew 26, that when he uh, partakes of the Lord's Supper with the disciples, he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you need forgiveness of sins? All of us do. All of us need forgiveness. And this is the way that we can be forgiven. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ and returning from our sin, believing that he is who he said he is, and that he proved that by doing exactly what he said he would do beforehand. He really died, he really rose, and he really saves. This is why he came. Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what? He has done. Matthew 25, hear Jesus' testimony about himself again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jumping to verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And verse 46 says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but Christ, or excuse me, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is warning us. He's telling us ahead of time. This is what is going to happen. I am the Messiah. I am the king. And my kingdom is coming. The, repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is going to return in glory and distinguish between those who have put their faith in him and those who have not. And the stakes are eternally high. I want to share with you one last thing Jesus said. Jesus' testimony was this. Come to me, all you who are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're here and you haven't done that yet, Jesus says, come to me. Your soul can rest because it's found its redeemer. Your soul can rest because it's been reconciled with its maker. Your soul can rest because it knows the truth and the truth has set it free. Your soul can rest because you no longer have to fear death because Jesus overcame it by dying and by rising. And so you can have confidence that the promises he makes about his future kingdom and the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting will also come true. And knowing that your soul can rest, no matter what anyone does to you here in this life, no matter how much you lose, no matter how much it costs you to follow Christ, you know that you have eternal life promised to you if you have come to him. So come to him. Come to him if you have not come to him this morning and let your rest enjoy, let your soul enjoy his rest. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He really died. He really rose. He really saves. It's not hard. The hardest thing about it is overcoming your own pride. It's to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy on a sinner like me. And he will abundantly pardon. Any, everyone who comes to Jesus, he will by no means cast out. You can be certain that if you put your faith in him, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and that you will inherit his heavenly kingdom for all eternity, that kingdom that he is preparing for those who love him. And this should all cause us to rejoice and to love him. Even though you have not seen him, may it cause you to rejoice with inexpressible joy, knowing that you are obtaining, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Father, bless your people. For those who are hearing these things for the first time, Lord, we pray that, that they would consider them, Lord, that they would come and talk, Lord, they would ask questions, that they would share doubts, that they would seek clarification. But Lord, we pray that by your grace and by the power of your spirit, you would enable every single person here to believe, to know, and to rejoice that you really died, you really rose, and you really saved. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.